Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. The latest on the shooting has not changed at the University of Virginia. As reported, three students dead, two injured. That's what we know right now. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. This is going to be one of those moments, one of those stories, that it's going to take a day, two, three, to get the full story of what has happened here. Who was involved? Why it took place? It hasn't stopped people from uh, discussing the evils of gun violence and, oh, the guns, and they don't even know what's happened yet. They don't even know what has happened yet. And I'm going to wait until I have the full story in order to bring that story to you. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. 833, got Tony, 833-468-8669. That is the number. And as we know from the election, the Senate will stay in the hands Of the Democrats, they have 50 seats. So even if Herschel Walker should win, it will be the same 50-50 with the tiebreak going to the Democrats because of the Vice President Kamala Harris. The House, more and more after some things that have dropped over the last couple of days, seems to be something that the Republicans will pick up. But they're going to pick it up with one or two seats. And one could argue that that is frustrating. One could argue that that is failure. Let me say it again for those people in the cheap seats. I said it on Fox News over the weekend. I'm saying it right now. Mitch McConnell, Kevin McCarthy, and Rona McDaniel are 100%, Ron McDaniel, she is the chair of the RNC, they're in the hot seat, as Lawrence Jones asked me the question. Real quickly, Tony, what's the case? Uh, I I think the case is that some people look at quality candidate and some people look at the letter after the name. I think that's obvious and clear uh, for a couple of races, like, for example, uh, Pennsylvania. But Republicans are going to have to figure out this leadership conversation. And Kevin McCarthy and Mitch McConnell and Ron McDaniel have to know they're in the hot seat. And anybody who believes otherwise is out of their mind. Out of their mind. Crazy. They are out of their heads. And I would challenge anybody who says, well, you can't have a, find a better leader than Mitch McConnell. Now, we can argue that Mitch McConnell is not guilty of what people like President Trump are saying he's guilty of. Because what they're saying he's guilty of is not putting the money towards Blake Masters, not putting the money into races where people were more on that Trump conversation than they were about the future conversation, which is a big part of this election. But the data doesn't actually hold for that. Data matters. The data shows that Mitch McConnell spent the money The only place where he didn't spend money is in the race for Blake Masters. That was the Arizona Senate race. 
It spent $6 million, however, in Alaska, which was a race between two Republicans, the Alaskan Republican Party candidate, Kelly Shabaka, and the incumbent senator, Lisa Murkowski. You can argue it is strange, weird, odd that you wouldn't put money into the Arizona race, but you would put money into a race where a Republican is going to come out on top. You didn't know which Republican, you needed it to be your Republican. And people are going to say, see, this is proof that Mitch McConnell didn't do anything. Mitch McConnell put money into races all over the place. McConnell's Super PAC, the Senate Leadership Fund, was the largest spender of any Super PAC in the 2022 cycle, spending $230 million. Trump Super PAC only spent $15 million. He spent in races. In Nevada, he spent $26 million. Instead of uh, $2 million, that's what Trump spent on Adam Laxalt, who lost. McConnell spent $26 million. McConnell spent $32 million on J.D. Vance. Trump, $2.3 million. In Georgia, for Herschel Walker, $38 million was spent by McConnell's PAC, $3.4 million by Trump. I mean, these are the numbers. And if you want to deny them, just so we're clear, if you want to deny them, you're more than welcome to, but you're a damn fool. Because these are the numbers. This is the data. The undeniable data. Grow up. But just so you don't think I'm attacking you, let me follow up with the commentary. If you get, uh, if, if you follow me on Locals, TonyCats.Locals.com, my show sheet comes out every Monday through Friday. Everything that I'm going to talk about is, is on there, along with some little comments from me. And it reads that McConnell did spend money in this election, and it's a link to a story from Luke Rosiak, who did the research over at Daily Wire. I like Luke Rosiak a lot. You know what it says after that? But it doesn't matter, is what I wrote. They lost. His leadership position is up for grabs. Victory matters. Data matters. And the data shows that he spent, and the data shows that he lost. So yes, indeed, Mitch McConnell's leadership position is up for grabs. I will not listen to people who want to scream at me about how everything is fraud. Oh, I got got one guy. It's constant messages. Tony, you're not getting it. Tony, I know you like this, but you got to listen. You got... If you want to scream that it's fraud, feel free. Tell me what next. Tell me what next, because me, I'm working on the what's next. Give you an example of what I'm talking about here. If you have all this money is spent that's spent and you don't get a result, you got to ask what you spent the money on. You got to ask what the message was that you delivered. Because clearly, it's not about spending the money. It's about how you delivered a message with the money. That matters. That matters greatly. Let me give you another thing that matters. Understanding that strategy beats rhetoric. Strategy matters. In Nevada, in um, Arizona, Maricopa County, so we all understand each other, it's flat out disgusting what has happened with this election. 
flat out disgusting. It takes five days, six days to determine an election result. I hate early voting. I hate mail-in balloting. It creates the opportunity for fraud. It creates the perception of fraud. And it may very well create fraud. But I cannot and have anybody deny, I will not have anybody deny, that it doesn't create the first two. Opportunity for, for, for fraud, sorry about that, opportunity for fraud and perception of fraud. It creates those two things. I will debate anybody on that. And if they disagree, I will laugh at them. Probably make fun of their meemaw as well. Why not? Just throw it all out there. Because of course it does. You don't think taking six days to determine a winner in Maricopa County, where Phoenix is, creates distrust? You're pathetic. You're a putz. Chances are your mother dropped you on your head, and I can't tell yet whether or not it was on purpose. Of course it does. What's happened in Maricopa County, what's happened in Nevada is embarrassing. But in Nevada, for example, they allow mail-in balloting and they allow for ballot curing. Ballot curing is when you see a ballot that has an improper date. You take it back to the person and you get them to put the proper date on it. That's allowable. The political right has to be fully engaged in doing so. While they are engaged in fighting against these things and creating legislation that prevents them, like, for example, uh, you see... uh, having solid elections in places like Florida, while you're pushing against that, you have to also be fighting within that. Now, what's funny is I mentioned Florida. They have vote by mail in Florida. And Republicans crushed. But they also have a better system for their elections. They have better voting in Florida because they don't allow nonsense. Oh, we need to have these federal uh, people in the polling places to monitor what's happening. And uh, there is uh, Governor DeSantis saying, nah, we're not going to do that. And he was right. He was absolutely right. Vote by mail, but they were still able to get ahead of the game. How did they do it? They were very focused on turning out voters. Voter turnout, we're going to find, is a pretty fascinating thing that happened here. Because Republicans did turn out. If we were to take a look across the country, it's on a popular vote side, it's the GOP plus four. But independents didn't turn out for those people, and they didn't turn out in the places they needed to, like, for example, New York, where they had massive runs and massive opportunities and actually got some great pickups, but they didn't get that governor's mansion, and they could have, I think it was 7 million people who stayed home. How many people were going to find out stayed home in Nevada? How many people were going to find out stayed home in Arizona? You have to compete as they compete. They do vote by mail. They do ballot curing. They do ballot harvesting. In in Nevada, to whatever extent in Arizona, Republicans have to do the same. Well, Tony, that stuff creates problems. I don't disagree. Fight it on the one side, but be totally adept at it on the other, or they will out-hustle you every single time. But Tony, wasn't it about candidate quality? Sure. Sure, but really it was about where the focus of those candidates was. You focused on the future, you focused on the past. I'm going to get into that conversation uh, with uh, Ed Morrissey of hotair.com. We'll be speaking with him in just a little bit.
this election leaves a lot to study. And when I know, or when I note that I got it wrong, it's so interesting that I got the final scores wrong, no doubt about it. But one of the concepts I had right, which is this concept of normalcy. People want normalcy. I am right about that. I am accurate about that. I, after this election, could write the thesis uh, about this. What I didn't ask myself is what does normalcy mean? I took it from my point of view as opposed to asking what is the point of view? What is normalcy? And what if normalcy for a fair amount of Americans was, listen, I don't like Biden. I don't like our gas prices. I don't like inflation. I don't like the crime. But man, I'm not going to vote for the people who want to talk about 2020. So you know what? Let's just deal with what I got. I know who these people are. I'm going to just, just two more years. All right, I'll deal with it in the presidential. How many times did that happen in this election? I am willing to bet, now having taken a look at some of this data, I think it happened a bit. I think the whole concept of the shy right voter is absolutely positively real. But in the polling, to the extent that any of this polling was right, or I should say the polling outfits were valuable. Trafalgar had been valuable for years. I think they kind of, you know, what did the bed this time around? What if a lot of people aren't admitting to a pollster what they would do? And therefore, when we talk about how these polls skew, we made the belief that it was the shy right voter when in fact it was on both sides of the aisle. Therefore, there was no adjustment. As a matter of fact, there should have been an adjustment to the left. As some of the data bears out. Oh, it's more than just looking now at the number of likely voters and margin of error. At least I always do that right. There's more to look at in this next election to the extent I'll ever look at a poll again. When I don't get it right for you guys, it infuriates me. Now, theory, oh, I never have to question that. I'm talking about result. The result, I didn't see it this way. And I spent the last five days asking myself, why is that? What did I miss? I have not been fun to be around the last few days. But one of the things that I certainly want to reiterate and commit to is strategy over rhetoric. Strategy requires fighting. Strategy requires doing it the way it is done. And if that's ballot harvesting and mail-in ballots and ballot curing, that's the way it is. Lawful methods, let's go do them. Only voting on one day, that is what I want, but that is not what's happening. So we must fight the way they fight to get victory. Once that strategy is in play, then we can get to a part two strategy of how one engages the electorate. And the answer very clearly is never look backwards. Although know your history, never look backwards. You got to be, as we have discussed in this show millions of times, talking about what's possible. And the people who didn't do that got hurt. That data is clear as day as well. I've got more to get to on this subject. Have no fear. We've got other things. I'm Tony Katz. 
I got hard trouble reading this. Reuters, uh, Natanja Bose. That's the president of the United States, unable to read from a pre-written list of reporters he's supposed to call on because he only calls on reporters he's told he's allowed to ask to ask him questions. Got how that works? Thank goodness we're in good hands. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today, we're not in good hands. Something else to take from this election. You want to talk about something that will cause you to have a bourbon. Follow this. Americans, voters, we should say, still think crime is too high, still think inflation is too high, still disgusted by gas prices, still think America is going down the wrong track. And they voted for the left. If you want to scream fraud, again, you're more than welcome to. You can absolutely be somebody just screaming out into the night all of this insanity. You can scream fraud from now until the end of time. I'm not going to tell you no. Scream it. Yell it. Go right ahead. The problem is you don't have it. You don't have it. You might find it. I'm not telling you not to look at it. But you don't have it in toto. You just don't. And one has to ask why that is. One has to ask, how does you ha- how do you have, or how does one, with all the issues, still say, I'm voting for, for, for these people who caused it? That's what's remarkable about this election. I will admit to you, I do not vote based on emotion. I vote based on what will allow me to live my life the way I see fit. I save my emotion for my family. That isn't how other people do it. Something I have to accept. The emotion matters to them. Now, I've always known that connection matters. But emotion... Well, what if the emotion here was actually self-preservation because everything is nuts and they just can't handle one more thing? I get into it with Ed Morrissey next. Keep it here. This is Tony Katz today. So the election comes, and for the political right, it's absolutely not the result that was wanted nor expected. So the conversation has to be asked, or I should say the question has to be asked, Exactly how in the world did everybody get this wrong? And I mean everybody, but not just on the political right, everybody on the political left as well. They're cheering the fact that it wasn't as bad as they thought. As a matter of fact, in some places, like the U.S. Senate, they won. I mean, depending on what happens with Herschel Walker there in that uh, runoff election in Georgia against Senator Raphael Warnock. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It is good to be with you. Ed Morrissey joins us right now of HotAir.com, where he is the capo de tutti capo. He is also the host of the Amiable Skeptics podcast with Adam Baldwin. You can get more about that at HotAir.com, wherever your fine podcasts are indeed sold these numbers, this data, I'm a data-driven guy. Don't tell me about what you feel. Tell me about what you know. 
is what matters. And what people knew is, in many ways, for Pennsylvania at least, what it is they feel. In other places, like Nevada and Arizona, which made mockeries of the election, massive changes have to come. Lawsuits should happen, in my view, Ed. Um, But it also teaches that strategy beats rhetoric. And if you're not going to play in this mail-in voting insanity, which I agree is wrong and has to be stopped, you're not going to be able to compete There was a lot to learn from this election. A lot of mistakes made, not necessarily in the polling, but reading the polling. What is your take on what took place? Well, uh, first off, thanks for having me back, Tony. Look, I mean, I was surprised um, and I was very disappointed in how well we performed. And I think what it really came down to was that some of the early voting, I think there was more robust early voting than we anticipated. And Republicans just don't compete very well in early voting. And I think that, but even on election day, I think that we underestimated the impact that abortion was having on on some of these um, races. And I think we also underestimated the impact that uh, the focus on the 2020 election rather than what to do going forward had on uh, the minds of voters who aren't necessarily strong Republicans. And of course, you've got to be able to win the middle in order to win elections. There's no doubt you have to be able to win the middle in order to win elections. So let's break down what some of these conversation pieces have been. Uh, We'll get into an agree or disagree on it. First, of course, is they want to tell you, well, the problem is candidate quality. Republicans just didn't have good quality candidates while they were running Fetterman. So uh, the question is, I mean, I mean, it's, it is a laughable proposition. The idea that Katie Hobbs is a quality candidate is a laughable proposition in Arizona. What she wasn't was somebody on the Donald Trump 2020 election denier, as they call it, truther conversation that doesn't make Katie Hobbs quality. Yet this is the conversation piece that they want to put out there. Agree or disagree. The issue was candidate quality. No, I think candidate quality mattered. And I think it mattered not just in terms of the head-to-head races, but also the, what was up further on the ballot. For instance, you mentioned Fetterman versus Oz. Well, look, I mean, part of the problem is that you had Doug Mastriano at the top of that ticket, who was a big turnoff, who was very much into the 2020 election. You know, Oz wasn't talking about the 2020 election, but Mastriano was. And I think that that had an effect on that race. I also think that Oz, you know, basically Oz was a carpetbagger. Right? I mean, he, he kind of carpetbagged into that. He wasn't really the best candidate, especially earlier in the race. And I think that that hurt. Uh, I think that quality did hurt. Fetterman for, you know, and I agree with you about Fetterman, but Fetterman, they've known Fetterman for a while in Pennsylvania. He's a Pennsylvanian. And, and again, I think Pennsylvania is a, you know, blue tilting state that you have to have a real reason to to go Republican in. And with Mastriano at the top of the ticket and with Oz sort of carpet bagging in, Republicans didn't give him that reason. So I I think it matters there. I think it matters in Arizona. And mostly uh, the candidate quality issue there is, again, talking, you know, focusing on the 2020 election rather than focusing on what's ahead. Voters don't vote on the past. They vote on the future. And I think that that's a lesson that a lot of these um, uh, candidates forgot in this election cycle. I think they felt they got a lot of um, attention for focusing on the 2020 election rather than focusing on the issues as they are right now. And this was an issue. This was a 
uh, you know, it's an issue rich fields, a target rich environment here. You had inflation, you had, um, you know, you had crime, you had a border crisis, especially in Arizona, you had a border crisis. Um, those were the issues that you really needed to talk about, both in the primaries and in the general election. And I don't think either one of those candidates there um, made enough of an impression on those issues to overcome their their you know activism on the 2020 election front. You know, it's it's funny when we talk about Pennsylvania and you talk about Oz and, and not being a quality candidate, talking to Ed Morrissey of Hot Air dot com hot air dot com also the amiable skeptics podcast featuring adam baldwin which you can find over there at hot air.com wherever your fine podcasts are sold fetterman also outperformed biden in 2020 in those western counties in pennsylvania which is steel workers which is coal miners uh to this idea of connection to this idea of cares about people like me I find voting on a motion to be a very awkward thing to do, but a lot of people do it. It goes back to 2012 when uh, people said, oh, I voted for Obama because he cares about people like me. And Romney doesn't care about people like me. And I said, that's a a serious, serious issue. You got to recognize that there is something there that is real. It can't be changed. This brings us to the idea of mail-in balloting, ballot harvesting, ballot curing, what we saw in Nevada. It's all lawful in in Nevada. I oppose mail-in balloting it either causes fraud or creates the opportunity for fraud or creates the the perception of fraud. So, by the way, just taking six days to count ballots. Uh, there are some people like, well, we just have to get rid of this. I don't argue getting rid of it. But if you're not going to get rid of it, don't you also have to at least compete in that sandbox? Yes, I think that this is uh, part of an issue that Republicans kind of fall into, which is the world as they would like it to be versus the world as it is. And I think that I, I'm with you. I mean, if I had my druthers, election day would be election day. Everybody would turn out then, and, and only absentee ballots for specific reasons would be allowed to be mailed in. And anything that didn't come in before election day simply would not be counted so that you could have one election day and then it's over with. And everybody would get the counts and we'd all know who won the election within about 24 hours. Um that's not the world as it is, and that's not even the electorate as it is. The electorate as it is prefers to have multiple days of voting opportunities, prefers to have multiple options, and Republicans have been fighting against this. And I think especially after the pandemic when you know, you've got this uh, – Nevada, they mail them out to all – you know, mail out ballots to all registered voters, and you've got to wait for several days afterwards for them all to come in, those sorts of things – should really be changed. I mean, it's, you can see what the outcome is in Nevada. It's embarrassing uh, that it takes this long to settle these races. California's just as bad. Uh, but it's, it's, this is the world as it is, and until we can get majorities in those states to get more rational voting processes in place, they're going to have to start learning how to use these, how to uh, how to uh, motivate voters to use these. I think Ron DeSantis has done a great job of that, for instance, in Florida. You know, they have a more rational system in Florida, but they still have some of these uh, mail-in balloting and early voting um, balloting. And look, Ron DeSantis ran the table. Republicans ran the table under Ron DeSantis in Florida. If they can do it in Florida, they can do it in the other states as well. And that is, the, it, the point of that should not be uh, underplayed that Florida has vote uh, by mail, has early voting. Uh, a fair amount of it happened in Florida, and still Republicans carry Miami-Dade County. So, of course, it can be done, and that brings it back to this idea of candidate quality, which isn't actually about candidate quality, 
And this is where people are bullcrapping themselves from now until the end of time. This is whether or not you brought up Trump. And as you discussed it, it's an even bigger conversation. Are you looking backwards or are you looking forwards? And we are a nation that looks forwards. We say, ah, we don't like it. Oh, what's coming up tomorrow? Right. I mean, almost you can almost say it's a, it's a uh, attention span issue, right, in the United States. But honestly, it's a rational way to look at, to look at things. What's in the past is in the past. What voters are concerned about is what's going to happen the next two years, what's going to happen the next four years. That's actually the right way to look at elections. And yet we had all through this cycle, we had uh, basically what I would call a grievance election in a lot of these places, and we had grievance candidates rise to the fore, largely because Donald Trump supported them, uh, complaining about what happened two years ago, not necessarily offering a whole lot of uh, constructive ways to move forward from what happened two years ago, but basically asking to relitigate what happened two years ago. And the vast majority of Americans simply aren't, uh, aren't up for that. And I think that that is a lesson for Republicans in 2024, is that if we're going to go back into another election cycle uh, demanding to relitigate what happened in 2020, we're going to lose in another national election. Which brings us to the polls. Ed, talking to Ed Morrissey of HotAir.com. This was G. Elliott Morris. I'm not familiar with the man. Data journalist, U.S. correspondent for The Economist. This was very very interesting. I, he wrote uh, the book Strength in Numbers, How Polls Work and Why We Need Them. And a lot of pollsters feel very, very good about what happened in this election because they feel they've gotten a level of their mojo back. They feel they got the polling accurate because they called the races tight. However, it's it's hard for some of us to, uh, to accept because we believed, I will talk about myself, that the political right was being underpolled. I still believe that happens. But he points out that the average absolute error of polling averages in competitive states looks likely to come in around 2.5%, about half the expected error since 1998, and the polls look to have underestimated Democrats marginally by about 0.5 to 1 point. That is, in a lot of cases, the difference. Where I saw the shy right voter, the truth is, I was kind of right. There are shy voters. They're happening all across the board. But the polls that were out there, which there's a question of how many polls were out there versus the amount of polls that were out there just four years ago, the polls were not estimating or engaging properly where the shift was and they were overcorrecting to thinking there would be more political right turnout. Is that the case that they overestimated or is it so, uh, it, it, did they estimate uh, properly and people just got ahead of themselves with the wrong polling outfits versus the versus the right polls themselves? Uh, first off, I think there was so much churn uh, at, the, um, at the end of the polling cycle there that it's hard to say, oh, well, this was accurate, this wasn't accurate, because, I mean, a lot of these pollsters sort of turned on a dime the last few, in the last couple of weeks of the election. I think some of them turned too much. Uh, I think you could, I think it's better to look at the entire series and to see where things landed when. Um, I do think, though, that Trafalgar is um, and Robert Cahaley are going to have some questions about their uh, methodology. Uh, yep. They've been accurate the last couple of cycles, but they were off this year. Look, I mean, I think that's um, I think that's what happens in polling. You get a little too in love with your methodology and you get a little too too in love with your models. 
and you think that it's like going into war with the uh you know with with the last you know the strategy from the previous war it's uh it, it gets out of date fast uh, i don't know where we're at with polling uh, you're going to hear a lot of people say well you know like, like you just said well you know the, the the mean of this came up pretty close to you know within the margin of error of of the results and that sort of thing i think what we're seeing in polling is really um, a reflection of the fact that we shouldn't take it as seriously as we do, and we shouldn't set our expectations quite as closely to it as we do. Uh, I think, though, that in this cycle, the um, the shy voter issue was an issue, but I think that what we're going to find out is that we didn't get the independents right. Right. I mean, I think the the big the big uh, the the big takeaway from this is that. Independents turned out for for Democrats, and we didn't catch that in in the polling. Uh, we were looking at this in terms of what we thought the model was going to be based on the economic environment, which was a legit way to look at this. But in the end, Republicans turned off uh, independents, and they went with the Democrats. Which they is crazy because they still don't like the economy. They still don't trust Biden. They still don't think we're going on, down the right track. It is incredible they saw all this the data bears that out by the way and they still said nah that's remarkable how much uh, that i think is is a conversation is that a conversation of fatigue right some people want to argue that everything's nuts and they just didn't want more nuts which is one of my theories people want normalcy and the normalcy they chose was not to change anything in the midterms they'll maybe wait for the presidential please please can i please stop talking about this stuff we think that's true i think I think that's it. I think that there was. I think that the independents here had no. They didn't have any investment in relitigating 2020. Again, I think it's an issue of talking about things that don't matter. And I think, in terms of abortion, I think that that might have been the deciding factor among the independents because Republicans really weren't fighting back against Democrats because they were hoping that abortion just simply wasn't going to motivate people. And it turned out, and you could see this on election day exit polls even. This isn't just a question of the early voting. On election day, they had exit polls which showed people who showed up to election day put abortion as the number two issue. It was only five points behind um, the economy. And I remember when I saw that and I wrote about it um, at, at Hot Air as part of the live coverage, is that that worried me because it, it told me that the turnout for this thing was going to be less Republican than I thought it was going to be. And in turn, it, it, it looks like that's what happened. And so, again, you have to talk about issues that voters care about in these elections. Democrats didn't talk about inflation. They didn't talk about the economy. Republicans, on the other hand, weren't talking about abortion, weren't making the case that Democrats were the extremists on abortion, a case that is fairly easy to make, but they were scared of it and was and were trying to ignore it and hope that it didn't matter. In the end, I think it did, and I think that they blew it in that in that sense on that one particular issue by not hammering home the fact that Democrats want to abort uh, babies right up to the moment of birth, right. and they're the extremists. Had they pressed that issue, maybe that would have gone a little differently. Really quick, I only have 15 seconds. Kevin McCarthy, leader or not? No, quick, I think yes or no, is. yes or no. Uh, yes, only just because he's in position to do it. I, I have no real dog in that fight. All right, we're going to save the other two for another time because I'm up against it. His name is Ed Morrissey. <laughs> you got to find him at hotair.com, the amiable skeptics podcast at Hot Air, and wherever you get your podcasts. I appreciate you, man. More coming up. I'm Tony Katz. Waste time.
There's no doubt that this election did not go well, and there's no doubt that there was a fair amount of misreading. It, it bothers me that I was correct about the normalcy conversation, but I didn't apply it across enough spectrums and to what people might consider normalcy, which is, oh, dear God, leave me alone, which is exactly what I was discussing, but I needed to turn it a little bit to, to get a full idea of what people would consider to be leave me alone. That much is for sure. But again, I don't I don't lament. I see opportunity. And all I see is people who want to move forward with this. The people who don't and want to just look backward. Uh, I got no room for them. TonyCats.locals.com. This is Tony Katz today.